0: At WriterWriterPantsOnFire.com. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com. Forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum. Create beautiful books. We're here with Ian Dawson, author of Midnight House, which released earlier this year. And part of what makes this such an interesting topic is that the story is based upon your own experience of being kidnapped when you were younger by two older teen boys. So if you would like to talk a little bit about that traumatic experience and how it ended up coming to a place where it became a novel. Thank you for having me on.
1: Actually, The Midnight House is the second book. The first book, The Field, which came out in 2018. That's based on my experience of being abducted. Second one, The Midnight House is the the follow-up. So in 1993, I was out in the field behind our Redding neighborhood playing hide and seek with a friend of mine. He was hiding. I was seeking. I turned the wrong way down a gravel road, found myself being pursued by two older boys on bikes. They caught up to me and they dragged me into a clearing, terrorized me for several hours until they finally punched me in the face and let me go. So it was a very traumatic experience decade after it happened, I was thinking about it. First person account of what happened. And then that slowly evolved into a fictional story. It was based around the actual event. And then that became the field. The woman who read and edited the first book was like, you should make this into a series. I initially had no intention of making it a series. Then I started thinking about what I could do. And then I thought of some ideas for The second book, and that became Midnight House. And that took about five years from initial idea to completion. And then the first book took about 15. Hoping the third book gets a lot shorter time from idea to (laughs) completion. (laughs) That's sort of the genesis of how this series came to be. And they're young adult novels. I mean, they're intense. They're very suspenseful. My mom's had to put them down a couple times while she's reading them, because especially since the, the first one's based on true events and the second one has things that have happened to me, but it's more fictional.
0: How old were you when
1: this happened? I was 13.
0: Things are bad enough when you're 13 to then have to endure something like that. I can't even imagine. You ended up diving into that place in your memories and that experience in order to write the field. I know a lot of authors find therapy through writing and not necessarily just even as directly as writing their own lived experience, but Even just for a general release from Mm -hmm. the experiences of of everyday stress of real life. But when you're dealing with something that is obviously extremely personal like that, I can see it maybe going either way on any given day. And, And you said it took 15 years for you to really coalesce this into a final product. So was it therapeutic on some days? And then maybe on other days, it was just reliving a horrible thing.
1: It was cathartic in a lot of ways. They never caught the two guys, so they're still out there. Because it's fiction, I basically made things go the way I wanted them to go to make a a more effective story. There's the the kernel of truth that then was spun into a fictional narrative. But there are things in the book that didn't have to do with me. It had to do with other characters that Mm -hmm. were very intense. I wrote them, and I had to take a break. Because it was like, wow, I can't believe I got that dark and went to that yeah. place. Yeah. But that's one of the crazy things about writing is it allows you to take yourself to those places without actually going to those places. But you can still feel all those emotions and those feelings and that intensity. And then you hope that translates from the page to when the reader reading. They have mm-hmm. the same feeling.
0: Absolutely. I agree entirely. My book, The Female of the Species, is a rape, revenge, vigilante justice book. And uh, Mm. there's actually a scene where my main character sets a pedophile on fire, burns him alive. Didn't pull any punches on that scene and I fully expected to get some pushback. And I don't. I've never had Mm. anyone say to me, you know, that was too much or you went too far. And I think exactly what you're saying is what's happening. You get to do this safe exploration of inaction that you might wish you could take, but you know that you cannot for many reasons, be they Mm -hmm. moral or legal. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's a really good point. It also gives you an element of control when you're writing about Uh, something that specifically happened to you in your case. In my case, just anger at the world and things that happen to people in it and kicking back and fighting back in a way that is safe.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the fun part about the writing process, especially the drafting process. With The Field and with Midnight House, I would take sequences as far and outrageous as I possibly wanted to, and then I was able to pull it back. So you don't have to censor yourself in a draft because no one's going to see it. Yeah. Uh, so you can just go there. And then maybe you read it again and you go, well, it's a young adult novel, so maybe I shouldn't put that in there. And let me just sort of scale that back. The first book, some of the um, reviews said that it was a little too violent for a young adult audience. But it's like, well, there's nothing really non-violent about child abduction and childhood trauma, which are two things that are dealt with in the first book. And then the aftermath of that is dealt with in the second book as well. These are themes that really don't have a uh, happy essence to them. (laughs) Yeah. I write
0: YA too. And I pull zero punches. I worry a little bit about pushback, but to be honest with you, I... I'm always ready for those responses. So for example, my third book is a gothic historical thriller. It's set in the 1890s. And it's Mm -hmm. about a teenage girl who's pregnant because her father has been abusing her. And I've had some people say, you know, why would you write a book for teens about a young girl whose father is sexually abusing her? And I'm like, because that's who it happens to. Mm -hmm. This is not a shock to them. Yeah. And they need to see that this happens. And those who do have to live through that experience can be aware that they are not alone. This is not some freak aberration. It is not their fault. And those that are moving in the peripherals of that situation might be able to pick up some clues and be a little more aware of things that might be going on in someone else's life. I really have never, myself as a writer, pulled anything back now as you're saying your first draft is no holds barred full send you go for mm-hmm. it and then you can dial back if you think it's necessary i definitely have had my editors say you know this needs to be dialed back a little bit and usually he's right if i have a like a moral ground to stay on and it's like no this is here for a reason like okay if it's like you know this might be a little too much description of puking all right you know i'll, I'll give you that You choose your battles, I think.
1: Young adult novels, especially in 2021, have more leeway in the themes and the content that they can express.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I was a young adult librarian, and I understand the arguments from both sides because the gatekeepers, Mm -hmm. they have to worry about their jobs. And parents do know their own children better than anyone else. So if a parent says, this book is not appropriate for my child, more than likely that parent is probably right because they know their child. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is when a parent says, this book is not appropriate for any mm-hmm. child. You do not know all children. So you cannot make that claim.
1: Oh yeah, like the the parents groups who try to ban like Harry Potter. I had a
0: few book challenges when I was in the high school library. And one of them was for Harry Potter, but it wasn't like they hadn't actually read the book. They just heard that mm-hmm. there was a craft. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to try the spells. And if they work, then there's a problem. I am very much against sugarcoating anything for teens, especially uh, older teens. They're either living it, or they've already seen it, or they've already done it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I think, especially when you're dealing with YA novels that are based in the real world, and you're dealing with real-world themes. I think every young adult you know, witnessed what happened last summer. I don't think you can sugarcoat what happened with George Floyd and that whole horrible mm-hmm. situation. Kids are very perceptive. They know what's going on. Sometimes they know more than their parents because mm-hmm. oftentimes if parents try to shield their kids, the kids are going to find a way around whatever. Most people, even adults, if you tell them don't do that, They're going to go do it and say, well, what's so bad about it?
0: Yeah, we just spoke at a conference a couple of weeks ago to youth services librarians. And I don't have Mm -hmm. answers for everything. Obviously, if I did, I wouldn't be a novelist. But Mm -hmm. I talked about black and white thinking and how we approach sex education, of course, Mm -hmm. but also drugs and how we bring it to our children in the school system, especially public school systems. And it is very black and white. This is bad. This is good. Don't have sex. Don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. And when the kids start to get older, they develop some obviously very natural urges, but also just uh, curiosity and a desire to explore different things. And I've always thought about those quote unquote good kids that are just Mm -hmm. simply growing up and maturing. And all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I'm not good anymore. I want to do this. This is a bad thing. And -hmm. I think it can really damage, damage some of our kids. And then those that are already living in a world that has alcohol abuse or drug abuse or sex abuse, they're being told this is bad. And then they're like, oh, I'm bad.
1: Our war on drugs in the America is uh very odd, because if you look at films from the past, like Reefer Madness, mm-hmm. and how they were supposed to teach people, and it's like, yeah, the war on drugs really didn't work. Because no. it, it, you can watch Reefer Madness now and go, I know people who smoke pot, and they right. act like raving maniacs who go yeah. out in homicidal binges. It's like, wait a second, who was endorsing this? Yeah,
0: <laughs> like literal, actual propaganda. Mm-hmm. Like we were saying earlier, fiction is a good place to do safe exploration. Mm-hmm. You don't have to smoke pot or have sex or or even perform violence in order to get that, I'll use the word satisfaction, mm. out of experiencing it in a book.
1: You have mm-hmm. fictional characters who can make bad decisions, and then you can see the consequences of their bad decisions, but... No one's affected in real life. Yep. Like you said, I don't think we should shy away from reality, where in the end it's like, oh, yeah, and everything's okay. No, we're not on full house. But it's not. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Vellum. It just works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book, Enemy Contact. An enemies to lovers romantic suspense hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hangups in the publishing process from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's com forward slash pants. Vellum, it just works. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your site with a 14-day free trial. PubSite is easy to use. You can set up a simple site within a couple of hours and, when you're ready, enhance with features like a blog, photo gallery, book tour calendar, mailing list sign-up, social media feeds, and more. Too busy to build your own site? Have a PubSite expert build your site for a small fee. PubSite is used by authors such as Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, and Janet Daly. Visit PubSite.com to get started now. I think, too, when we talk about things that make people uncomfortable, when we talk about assault, I'm an athlete, I grew up on a farm, I have been in pain, I have been mm-hmm. injured, I've been injured and hurt many, many times in my life. I have never had anyone hurt me on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think from what I know from people that have experienced that, there is so much trauma involved and In your case, in the age of 13, a breaking of innocence in a way, I would imagine. Um, I don't know your background, so I don't know if this was your first experience with violence. Yes. Um, Then, yes, yes, I can't even imagine what it would be like to suddenly be thrust into a situation where people are hurting you on purpose and even for their own enjoyment.
1: It was surreal. The experience was surreal because you're like, this actually happening? It's very hard, I think, even as an adult, it would be a surreal experience. You have no way to know what they're going to do next, or they're going to try next, or what the plan is. So that was also very scary, is the unpredictability of the situation. You know, when I got home, the the police were in our uh, driveway, and I told my parents, what happened? The police didn't believe me. They pulled my dad aside and they said that, oh, maybe he's just making this up. My dad was like, he's not that type of kid. If he says this happened, this happened. Yeah, there really was no follow-up. I think they called my mom a couple weeks later and they're like, well, we don't know. We don't know. They, they may have been from out of town. You know, sticks with you. It, it gives you an interesting perspective on how r- real police sometimes can be when it comes to something like this. Not to completely denigrate the, the police, my experience with the police is the, the guy who comes and sings the, you know, just say no to drugs guy, you know, at, <laughs> at the school, and rough the crime dog, you know, take a bite yeah. out of crime. One of my favorite shows is Law and Order Special Victims Unit, similar situation, I'm a victim of a crime, it's Olivia Benson, she would have solved this, she would have figured this out.
0: <laughs> you really had the veil ripped away in a lot of different ways, not only did you very suddenly and abruptly experience violence, but you also found out that the good guys, the people that are supposed to be there to protect you and help you, and the people you've been told that you can depend
1: on might not necessarily have you as their priority. And that's one of the reasons why in the book, Daniel, who's the main character, he's abducted. Daniel's best friend Kyle uh, basically takes it upon himself to figure out what happened. So the reason it took so long to write this is because the first version... Involved Daniel getting abducted, and then Daniel's dad and a cop near retirement were looking for him, and it was extremely boring and uninteresting because they were boring characters. And then I had Kyle out searching for him, and then that made it much more interesting and exciting. I had Kyle, his uh, Daniel's best friend, pacing at home worried about his friend, and then Daniel was being held captive. And it's like, well, I have two passive. Right. Main characters. It's like yep. this isn't working. They need to be doing something. So Daniel's yep. trying to escape, and then Kyle's trying to find him. Okay, now they have an active goal to pursue. So that really changed how the book was, and in crafting the book, and then it was a, I was able to up the stakes.
0: That's so. a hard thing to learn. I know, like mm-hmm. pacing, having any type of active characters, making mm-hmm. sure that, pe- that everybody's not passive. Uh, that's something you do have to learn over time. And you said it took you 15 years then to really put together the first draft of the Mm -hmm. first book, the field. I think that's really interesting. And I think it's a really cool way to kind of combat that overnight success idea that I think a lot of writers look for. It exists. I've seen it happen, but it is rare And like I myself was trying for 10 years to get an agent before I got published. My fifth book was the one that got picked up. And I think it's really useful to talk Mm -hmm. to people such as yourself who put in 15 years worth of work and I'm sure took breaks, walked away, thought about Mm -hmm. it, came back, revised, redrafted. How did you keep up the, feeling of this is worth it. I want to keep doing this.
1: I kept coming back to it. I graduated from UC Davis by the time 2003 rolled around. Saw it on my computer and revisited it. And that's when I sort of realized this isn't very good. But the idea was there. I built around it. And then over time, moved to LA. And then I did my master's in screenwriting and so I'm taking all these classes about you know story and character and dialogue. Kept going back to it. I mean it wasn't easy. I mean there were times where it was just like God it's like I it, this isn't working, you know, and I'd walk away. I mean it wasn't me consistently every single day for 15 years going back to it. Exactly. You know, there there were times when it was like leave it for two, three months and then I'll come back to it. And there'd be times when it was like, I'd just be bored at home and just go back to it. And then every once in a while, you'd have the situation where things would just click. Okay, yeah, I see where this is going. Once I gave it to a friend's mom, who was an editor, and she read it. She gave me feedback, and she really liked it, and she gave me suggestions and notes. And so I was able to revise it from there. Novels have lots of layers to them. And sometimes it takes time for those layers to evolve and come to the surface. You could be focused on story in your first draft, and then as you go back through and you're rewriting, then your characters start to get their arcs in a more a clearer way, and then dialogue, and then description, and it all sort of comes together. So I, I think that's something that's important for new authors to know: is that this takes time. This isn't a one and done because sometimes you have to write it, walk away, come back, and go, Ooh, um, I'm going to get rid of that. You have to enjoy what you're writing, even if it is something as traumatic as using a real-world experience, such as mine, for the field. You have to enjoy the process. You have to enjoy the characters you're writing. Because If you're begrudgingly going back to your manuscript, there's a problem. You've got to enjoy what you're writing and you'll know, be doing it for the right reasons.
0: You do. You have to care about it and you have to be willing to go back to it. I love what you're saying about taking those breaks. You like you said earlier, this wasn't 15 years of you hitting your head against a brick wall. No, you can't do that. I tell people that all the time. I would take huge breaks, sometimes three, four, six months, because Mm -hmm. you cannot continually look at your own work and hate it or have other people tell you it's not good enough. In my case, I was querying agents for 10 years and you know, I just kept getting rejections, 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 and you can't healthily live that way. Taking those breaks is important. I want to talk then about your publishing experience. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the route that you chose?
1: When I was in the process of writing the field, I had sent out query letters To different publishers. Most of the responses I got back were this is not what we're looking for at this time. Back then it was vampires and werewolves, dystopian novels, zombies. These are the hot tickets. Real-world fiction really wasn't a thing at the time when I was working on this book. So I started doing research, and Book Baby seemed like a good fit because I was able to find my own cover artist. I love both covers that he's done. The first book. I made the mistake of just going with an ebook. That's what I started with. It got my publicist. She was like, oh, you should probably have a paperback too. With the second book, it was cheaper to do both at once as a Mm -hmm. package than do both separately. One of the reasons I went uh, the self-publishing route was I just wanted to get the book out there. Yeah. That was one of the main things. Because you hear these stories, of course, you know, Stephen King and Carrie was rejected like 87 times. Yep. And he had a nail on his wall where he put all his rejection letters. And I, w- I was able to figure out a budget. And that's the important thing. If you're going to do this, is not uh, not the cheapest way to go. But if you're able to uh, budget and make sure that you can you know not go into too deep of debt and uh, can still afford to pay your bills and your rent. Because it used to be that if you self-published, that was like the scarlet letter yes of you know the thing oh you self published oh that's that's not good but it's like now you know the books on amazon and barnes and noble and walmart and target it's more mainstream and i think it's because youtube and podcasting has made everybody a content creator so self publishing is just another way of being a content creator ebooks and paperbacks they're just another avenue for creativity for people to use now. So I think it's been more legitimized over the past decade. People need to know if you go this route, you're not going to be on the New York Times bestseller list. That's the reality of it. Don't expect to make a bunch of money. And don't expect to be on the bestseller list. But have a plan, pay yourself back. So I've been very fortunate being able to work this entire pandemic. Yeah, because I've been able to budget I wasn't able to do other things. I was able to squirrel money away in order to do the second book during the pandemic.
0: You don't expect to hit the bestseller list. That's true in traditional publishing as well. I have, mm-hmm. I think, twelve books out. I've never hit any list. I'm certainly not rich, but mm-hmm. I'm able to, you know, make a living at this, and I supplement my income with teaching and with um, substituting. Doing the podcast makes a little bit of money on the side. I do Mm -hmm. actually uh, self-publish under a pen name with uh, two other co-authors that are friends of mine. And you're so right about how self-publishing has changed. It sounds like we're about the same age and we were both entering into the publishing world right around the same time. I had the same experience yet different in some ways. I had written a bit fantasy and was trying to get that out there. And my problem was there was too much of it. These are a dime a dozen, we don't need another urban fantasy author. One day I'm going to self publish those books, but they've been under my bed for, yeah, probably 15 years at this point. Oh wow. (laughs) Yeah, because it just, it hasn't come back around and they're a very different voice and a different genre than I write in Mm -hmm. now. So more than likely I will self publish those and self publishing, like you said, yeah, it used to be if you self published something, it was like you were selling old meat out of the back of your van. Like yep. people were not into that. You could not expect anything like a traditional exposure. A lot of the times, yeah, people did look down their noses at that. And that's just simply not true anymore. I travel a lot. I go to a lot of different conferences and festivals and um, I see self-published authors with tables right next to traditionally published authors. People want to read what they want to read and they will be attracted to what they're attracted to. Most readers can't differentiate between a self-published book and a uh, traditionally published book. They pick it up.
1: They look at the cover. They read the blurb on the back and they make a decision. Mm -hmm. They don't look to see who the publisher is. And if you're self-publishing, it goes back to liking what you're writing. Because if you're not writing Mm -hmm. on assignment and you're doing it for yourself, you're not going to make a bunch of money, and you're not going to get the, the fame and fortune. You have to like what you're writing. You have to enjoy the process and enjoy what you're writing, and that gets you through because it's the story that keeps you motivated. As soon as you get into the money as a motivator, I just don't think that that is an effective motivator when it comes to creativity.
0: Last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find your books, The Field and The Midnight House, and where they can find you
1: online. If you want to buy the paperback versions of either book, you can buy them on BookBaby. I have promo codes for both on my website, which is TheFieldYA, the letter Y, letter A for uh, youngadult.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, at TheFieldYA. So you can uh, join me there. And then also my, my website, I do uh, blog posts. I just uh, finished a series about story structure. And I also do a writer's workshop Wednesday where I'll profile an author and put like YouTube videos of interviews with them.
0: Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.